Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. A beautiful section that talks about how God's grace continues to give uh, throughout our lives and into eternity. Matthew 10, verses 40 through 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Amen. Father, we thank you for this scripture, and I pray that as we dig into it, that you would take uh, the weakness of man, that you would uh, use me as your servant to uh, minister encouragement into the life of this, your congregation. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is the International uh, Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. But because this church is already very involved in uh, giving money to organizations and praying and sending letters and helping the persecuted in various ways, I didn't want to make this simply a call to help the persecuted because I think you're already doing a great job in that. And I didn't want to be pulling at your heartstrings and trying to make you feel guilty and moving you in that direction. Uh, Our hearts are already burdened uh, for the suffering. I didn't want this to be a... Uh, a negative uh, sermon that uh, makes you discouraged. Instead, what I wanted to do is to show how the things you guys have been engaging in over the past years are already bearing blessings in your lives and will continue to bear blessings in your lives because of what you have been doing uh, for the suffering. I want to remind you that your labors in the Lord are not in vain. And I want to remind you of God's purposes concerning this subject. And I think they're very encouraging uh, purposes. Uh, He loves to bless His people. Verse 42 says, He shall by no means lose His reward. And this passage has been very encouraging to Kathy and me down through the years. Uh, We recognize that not everybody has the same gifts, same callings, same abilities. And yet God has enabled us to be able to equally excel, depending on how we approach this, equally excel in laying up treasures in heaven and uh, in rewards. Uh, the uh, the um, uh, 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 Kathy and I, neither one of us, uh, have uh, gifts of uh, an evangelist. I would love to see many, many people coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord and we engage in evangelism. But both Kathy and I and our children are going to, I believe, share in some of the rewards that evangelists have are going to be reaping because we have supported and encouraged evangelists. Neither of us have achieved the martyr's crown, and you might think that's a strange thing, but when you study the doctrine of the rewards that the persecuted and especially martyrs will receive, you would probably begin to covet that reward. I know that I do. I cannot think of a greater privilege that the Lord could give than to lay down my life uh, for Christ. Now, neither of us are probably ever going to be privileged 
uh, to be able to be martyrs, but we have been able to share in the lives of people who likely will be martyrs, and our family is going to share in their reward. And to me, it's a great encouragement to know that even though we're very distant from uh, persecution that is out there, we can, in very tangible ways, uh, share in the lives and in the rewards of uh, the persecuted. Um, this passage has given us enthusiasm and giving to missions and giving in private charity. I believe that this congregation, uh, you yourselves, are going to be uh, blessed by the Lord for giving me up and uh, letting me go, you know, on missions trips to China and to India. Uh, when I'm over there, uh, the Chinese church regularly play, prays when I'm ministering among them that God would bless you as a congregation for being willing to share me with them. Um, some people have asked me, why do you freely give away, you know, your copyrighted materials? And sometimes I'll joke and say, well, that's the only way people would read them. They wouldn't buy them otherwise. Uh, but really, the reason I share them freely is because I see it as an investment. Freely I have uh, received, freely I want to give. And today I want to transfer that concept to show how we can all be positively motivated, not just in ministering to the persecuted, but ministering in the lives of many other people. This is also Veterans Day, and you know, there's people who are sharing uh, with those who have suffered for our freedoms in the past. But let's apply this particularly to the persecuted church. Let's begin at verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And so the first motivation that can spur us up into ministry is that when I minister to you and when you minister to me, Jesus says in some way we are ministering to him because of his union uh, with each of us. Uh, when you minister to some Congolese uh, believer who is suffering persecution, uh, Jesus says that uh, we are uh, ministering to him because he is being persecuted as that Congolese is being persecuted. And he says to that uh, believer in Congo, he who receives you receives me. And because Christ is united to the Father, he says, he who receives me receives the Father who has sent me. And if you begin to meditate on that for some uh, time, it'll not only motivate you to uh, minister to the persecuted, I think it will revolutionize your life in every dimension. When I first began to understand this principle, I was 22 years old. I was reading a, uh, my first Puritan writer, John Flavel, and he was uh, giving an exposition on Matthew ch chapter 25. And I'm not going to go and give you his long um, sermon, but if you turn with me to Matthew 25, I do want to point out just a, a couple of things that, that he pointed out to me at that time, and it really gave me an encouragement in my Christian walk. Now, these people that he talks about in Matthew 25 did not see Christ physically. All they saw were ordinary Christians that they were ministering to, and yet I want you to notice in verse 35 what Jesus says. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. In some way unknown to us, our union with Christ is so real that He says, when you're hungry, He is hungry. When you are suffering, He is suffering. Now, we don't have to understand how that works out to know that we can minister tangibly to Jesus every bit as much as Martha and Mary and, and uh, Lazarus ministered to Jesus when they fed Him physical food right here on earth. 
Uh, we don't know how he can be hungry in that way, but John Flavel says that our union with Christ is so real. This is not simply a, sim- a symbolic thing that he's talking about. There is some way in which we are filling up the sufferings of Christ, as Paul worded it. Okay, continuing on. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then in the next verses, he reverses it and he says that when we uh, failed in a duty or we neglected something, we're neglecting Christ or we're failing in our duty uh, to Christ in those areas. Now, unfortunately, Mother Teresa has mishandled this, these verses in the past and has applied them to every man, woman, and child in the whole world as if Jesus was united to them. Now, we are called to love our enemy. We are called to uh, do good to all men, but he says especially to those who are in the household of God. But Jesus is talking about something unique here. He's talking about those who are united to Him. He says, one of the least of these, my brethren. So He's talking about brethren, those united to Him. But the more you practice this, uh, this concept of thinking about talking to and relating to Jesus as you talk to and relate to other believers, it will adjust your attitudes. It will, it, it will help you to, to relate to them in a more godly way. Uh, The more you treat your children as being indwelt by Christ when you do the dishes or when you're uh, cooking for them or you're picking up after them, it'll help you to be more positive. Now, it doesn't mean you won't correct them because the Christ who indwells them wants you to correct them, uh, but it'll make you more God-centered in your focus. Now, even when we deal with our enemies and those who are outside of Christ, we can still, we're going to be seeing in point number two, we're still rewarded in that as well. So it's not just ministering to believers, it's ministering to unbelievers and unsaved loved ones. But here, particularly, there is a a connection when we minister to those who are believers. Uh, When I so much as give a cup of cold water to you by way of hospitality, I'm doing it to Jesus because of His union with me. Now that's what makes hospitality thrilling. It just makes it such an encouragement that I know I can directly serve Christ when I am serving you. When I hurt you, I'm hurting Christ. When I passively neglect you, I'm passively neglecting Christ. When Saul persecuted Christians, here's what Jesus uh, said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To persecute believers was to persecute Christ in some way. When you go through a rough day, uh, this can be an encouragement to you because that means that uh, Christ is in some way suffering along with you. Uh, when uh, people beat up on you, you can, uh, you can say, Lord, I'm th- I thank you. I'm not having to go through this alone. Paul said very really, we are filling up the sufferings of Christ. So there is some way in which Christ identifies with the sufferings of uh, believers. And furthermore, union with Christ motivates us to receive all whom Christ receives. It doesn't just say we are to be received when we're going out as messengers, but we're to receive those whom Christ receives. So how do we receive the brethren? And how do we treat toddlers? Because he's talking about toddlers here. 
Uh, whoever gives one of these little ones, he must have had a lot of little ones that were around him, which is one of many passages, by the way, that says, no children's church. You know, we want the children. to. He was addressing the adults, but he still wanted the children to be there. But in any way, uh, notice what he says here. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Because of the union that covenant children have with Christ covenantally, how we treat them, he says, that's how we're treating Christ. And by the way, that's why he gives such a severe warning. It'd be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and to be drowned in the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Because why? He identifies himself with these little ones. And there are a lot of other applications that you could make. But think of the dignity that this gives to common chores, such as setting the table and pouring water. Okay, what gives these things greatness is not the the, the water per se, the significance of the water. It's the significance of the Christian that you are serving. Uh, When you make the beds and wash the floors and change the diapers and you clean up after spilled milk that's out there, realize you can be, if your attitudes are adjusted right, you can be directly serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you've not been motivated to serve the persecuted out of love for them, out of duty, out of guilt, which many times are not the greatest motivators, start meditating on this passage and realize, Lord, help me to see with eyes of faith and the incredible blessings that I can have as I bless uh, the lives of others. Jesus right now is in prison with them. He is in uh, in uh, you know, hungry and thirsty and naked and some of the other things that they're going through uh, in some way, even if it's just covenantally, legally, uh, but in some way he is identified uh, with them. And so your contributions can take on a, a new joy. Now, the second motivation is that we will be rewarded for our actions themselves. And not just connecting with uh, with. But for our actions themselves, the Puritan writer Thomas Manton said, there is a dispute whether we may look to the reward. I say we not only may, but must. And then he goes on in that uh, lecture to point out this is an incredible motivator for believers and God has ordained it to be. and We ought not to feel uh, guilty about that. Now, there is controversy to this very day. I, I even have friends who say that there is no such thing as a reward, and you, you point to passages as a reward, they say, that's just heaven. Uh, everybody gets the same reward. It's all equalized. There has to be an equality of grace. Otherwise, uh, it is contrary to grace. But um, uh, that is an importation of a socialistic concept. Okay? There is no socialism of grace. In fact, when you think about it, God has made us different in so many different ways. We're different bodily and intellectually and emotionally and uh, you know, in terms of even our spiritual giftings. He talks about differing uh, manifestations of God's grace in our lives. And why would we question then, there, why, if God gives differing manifestations of grace, why couldn't there be different manifestations of reward in heaven? And of course, the Scripture does talk about those. If the only reward that we receive is the reward of heaven... And it all comes out the same no matter what we do down here on earth. It's going to be just as demotivating to our industry as it was in socialist Russia. Um, and I want to give several reasons why our actions in time will have a profound, profound effect 
upon the rewards and the responsibilities that we'll have in the new heavens and the new earth because we're going to be starting our eternal dominion in the new heavens and the new earth with something that we are laying up. There are some people who won't have anything to start with. They're just going to be getting into heaven. Matthew Henry said, Our vessels will all be full, but they will all have a different capacity based on what we do down here below. So there's going to be some people with little thimbles up there. You know, they're going to be thimbles. They're going to be full. They're going to be joyful and overflowing. But what we do here really limits the capacity of the dominion we're going to be taking throughout all of eternity. So let me give you some reasons. First, he uses the, re- the word reward. Now, I don't care what Greek dictionary you might want to look that up in. Every dictionary will give you the same definition that you are receiving something over here because of something you have done. And sometimes it's actually translated as wages, but I think reward is a better translation. But the connection between what we do and what we receive is so strong, some translations actually make it as wages. But it's reward uh, because there's no way we could do it in terms of uh, wages. God loves to give a reward. So that's the first thing. The word reward is used. Second, verse 42 connects specific actions with the reward. And this verse makes it very clear. It doesn't matter how insignificant the action might be, there's a reward that can be connected. Now, if heaven was the reward, we'd have a problem. And the problem would be that we would be having a works righteousness in one sense. If our works are getting us heaven, then there's a, there's a conflict because Paul explicitly said our salvation is com- uh, works are completely excluded from how we gain salvation. So it's already saved people. It's believers. It's Christians who are going to be laying up treasures in heaven. It's two, it's two different things. Third, Christ is not leveling all rewards into one indistinguishable reward. He clearly distinguishes different kinds of reward. He speaks of a prophet's reward, a righteous man's reward, a disciple's reward. And there are A lot of other scriptures that talk about varying degrees of glory, varying degrees of reward that people are going to have in heaven. Fourth, going to the broader context of scripture, the word reward is used 101 times in the Bible and consistently it is used as an incentive to labor diligently and to not give up uh, knowing that our actions will make a difference. Okay, In a socialistic uh, country like Russia or China, People have not been very highly motivated to work until capitalism has been introduced because what happens when there is an equalizing or a leveling out of distinctions and of reward, there's a leveling down to mediocrity of the output of the people because they figure, I'm going to get the same no matter what I do. Why should I, uh, what's a good expression, why should I work so hard If I'm going to get the same reward, whether I skate through easily or whether I sacrifice hugely, it's a leveling down to mediocrity. And so when people work spiritually in a socialistic worldview, much of the motivation for service is removed. So if you can grasp that that concept, you're going to begin to see, wow, there is tremendous motivation God has built right into our Christianity. Let me repeat that point. The word reward occurs 101 times in the Bible. And consistently, it is used as an incentive to labor and sacrifice because our actions make a difference. It's not just that being a Christian makes a difference. Obviously, it makes a huge difference. But our actions make a difference. 
And when I started to comprehend this about uh, 22 years of age, it made a, a remarkable difference in my life. Now, I wanted to serve the Lord regardless of whether there were rewards or not. But this began to make me realize there is a purpose for everything that we are doing and how many years God has us laid out. There is a connection between now and eternity. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, this is one of several very powerful passages on the whole subject of reward. And I think it clarifies this distinction. Is a reward heaven or is it something in addition to heaven? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's begin at verse 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. In other words, there are distinctions. Uh, This is not socialism where everybody gets rewarded exactly the same way, whether he has sacrificed hugely or just skated through life without any sacrifices. Salvation is the same. That's where we're all one. Salvation is the same. But the reward is not the same because he says here, each one receives his own reward according to his labor. It's individualized. Now look at verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now the foundation deals with our salvation, as verse 15 I think makes quite clear there. And no one can lay the foundation except for Jesus Christ. We don't put one brick into that foundation. There is no works involved. It's completely 100% of the Lord. We're all equally deserving of hell. We're all equally deserving and undeserving of of heaven. And uh, it's because of Christ that uh, we get into heaven. He's the foundation. But here's the thing. The works that are wrought by God's grace and flow out of salvation, see, He works in us 100%, then we work out what He's worked in, What we are working out has incredible significance uh, and connection to the rewards in heaven. And so he goes on to speak of building on the foundation. It's something that we are involved in. Once we're saved, our action is very significant. Verse 12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become manifest. I want you to notice that. Each one's work will become manifest. It's going to be clear to everybody, based on what God does in eternity, what our work was. There's some connection there going on. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, he'll be saved, he'll get into heaven, but he's not going to be able to take anything that he's done in this life with him into heaven. It's all going to be burned up as rubbish. He will start with nothing in in heaven. So I, I hope you can see there is a big distinction between rewards and heaven itself. Our actions, after we are saved, play a very significant part to play. And this is why John warns us that we not lose our reward in Second John. And in Second John 8, he tells us not only that we may not lose our reward, but that we may receive a full reward, not a partial one. And so back to Matthew 10, verse 42, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Uh, The action of the giving of a cup of cold water was in itself something that gained a reward. Uh, The action of receiving a prophet, of receiving a righteous man, it's noticed by God. 
So that means when you send an email out for, you know, some righteous cause, and it means that every drudgerous task you do at work to God's glory, every time you're helping the church, every time you're involved in some political cause to try to advance the cause of Christ, that has the capacity to be able to be laid up as a treasure in heaven. Everything we're doing. So this is the cool thing for me. It's not just certain folks, you know, who are involved in church ministry that receive rewards. Everyone can receive rewards and everything we do can be, potentially, can be very significant. Our whole life is uh, an investment. And so this is a capitalistic venture in a spiritual sense. Now, granted, God's the one who gives the spiritual gold and silver and jewels that we're building on top of this foundation with. Uh, Here's how I sort of look at it. It's like a father who gives his children some investment money, but the children still have to invest it. They have to be using that money wisely. It all came from God, all came from His grace. We still have to invest it uh, wisely. And there will be some Christians who arrive in heaven absolutely amazed at the compounded growth that their efforts have laid up for them up there. And there are other going to be people up there who are going to be astonished that they have not had anything that they have laid up in heaven. They're going to be, as, as the King James words it, getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth. Okay, that's all they have. Skin of your teeth is pretty um, skinny. <laughs> and uh, so there's not a whole lot. Uh, scripture indicates that there's going to be tears in heaven. Now, yes, those tears will be wiped away after Judgment Day, but there will be tears on Judgment Day. There will be shame on Judgment Day. There will be some people who will rule over ten cities, some over one city, some won't rule at all, and there's going to be variations uh, within all of those categories. 1 John 2, verse 28 warns us, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Now, too many people ignore these kinds of verses because they have become spiritual socialists. But God says there will be distinctions. There are going to be many distinctions made on that day. Now, if you apply this to the persecuted, I think you can see this this is a great motivator. Working with the persecuted can be sometimes risky, but in Matthew 25 and so many other passages, Christ says it's worthwhile. In fact, I cannot think of a uh, a better way to invest your time, your money, your efforts than in some way to bless the persecuted. And we'll be looking at uh, some tangible ways that we, we can do that. Now, if the two, first two points were motivating, uh, Roman numeral 3 adds encouragement upon encouragement. This point says that ministering to the persecuted shares in their rewards. Now, don't think of this point as being socialism either because it's not as if we're taking away something. We are investing in their lives. There are distinctions here, differences Uh, But it also points out that everyone can have a part in helping the ministry. Though not everybody is gifted in evangelism, when you use your house to enable an evangelist to come in and to to work in the neighborhood, you're going to share in his reward. And the question is why? It's because you've invested in his ministry, right? And as you invest, it's like you're putting uh, putting, uh, spiritual dollars, as it were, into somebody else's investment capital. And as theirs grows, you're going to be uh, sharing in that growth with them. So it's not socialism, it's capitalism. Now, in your outline, I make some clarifications. 
First, it needs to be demonstrated that there really are special rewards for the persecuted and that this passage even deals with the persecuted. Uh, you might question that because the word persecuted doesn't appear in these three verses. But when you look at it in context, what Christ has been doing in the context has been telling people how to relate to persecuted prophets and righteous men and disciples who are going out there into the world. In fact, uh, I want you to look with me at some of the verses here in Matthew chapter 10 uh, so we can see the context really is that. Verse 14, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So how a city treats Christ's messengers is very important to Christ. Then, in verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He warns them that they will be flogged in the synagogues, verse 17. They'll be brought before governors, verse 18. They'll be turned in by their relatives, verse 21. They'll be hated, verse 22. Verse 28, Jesus tells them, don't fear people who are going to kill your body. Yeah, you, you might die, but they can't kill your soul. Um, then verse 34, it speaks of the turmoil that the gospel brings into social relationships sometimes. Verse 39 speaks of losing your life. And so the immediate context is clearly talking about how the persecuted are treated. And it's in that context that verses 41 through 42 speaks of sharing in their rewards. And there are indeed special rewards that the persecuted uh, receive. Uh, these righteous men and prophets and disciples that the chapter had early been talked about, they're greatly rewarded. Let me give you a couple of examples. Matthew 5, uh, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, when you're persecuted, you don't tend to leap for joy, do you? <laughs> but he said, if you have this, this perspective and realizing how great your reward in heaven is, you'd leap for joy. Now, you're, you're not supposed to try to pick on people so you get persecuted. It has to be persecution for righteousness sake. And First Peter makes that very, very clear. But he says there are incredible rewards that the... the, the um, the, the suffering received. Now, I'm not going to delve into all of those scriptures. In fact, you can study them on your own. I'm just going to assume you buy into the concept that those who are persecuted are going to get great rewards. I'm going to apply that. What this passage says is that we can share in the rewards that they have. Verse 41, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now, this is not just his own reward. This is sharing in somebody else's reward. Well, by implication, this means that if you are helping a persecuted woman in the name of a persecuted woman, you will receive that persecuted woman's reward, at least part. You're going to share in her reward. By helping them, we are investing in their investment vehicle, so to speak. And you might think of it like this. You know, 30 years ago, if you knew that uh, um, Warren Buffett, is it Warren? Yeah, Warren Buffett was going to do as phenomenally well as he did, uh, you'd probably scrape everything together that you could every, every year and try to invest in that. At least I would, because uh, you'd realize the outcome is phenomenal. Well, point number one indicates that when we are ministering to Jesus within others, Jesus 
is investing your spiritual funds. Okay. Point two says the spiritual funds you invest yourself uh, have their own potential. And then point number three says when you're investing those spiritual funds into the lives of other people, he says their potential becomes your potential as well. So you could say you don't, you don't have all your investments in one basket. Actually, that's probably not entirely true here. But it would be like saying these are three ways to guarantee that you will by no means lose your reward. Three different ways in which to strengthen that. Uh, point C indicates, and you can see, by the way, that why this gives people, uh, some people over a lifetime, they just, it's almost like they're addicted to giving, addicted to service. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it talks about the household of Stephanus in the King James. I love the translation there. They, have, they are addicted to the ministry of the saints. In other words, there's this compulsion, this desire that they just there's so much blessing to be able to bless the lives of others. Okay, point number C. It indicates that benefiting from our investments is not automatic because we can lose our investments. Uh, we already saw that in 1 Corinthians 3 where some people get in, they're just saved, but they lose everything. It's all burned up as hay wooden stubble. Verse 42, though, ends with the words, shall by no means lose his reward. And so it's a promise. And even though the phrase is a guarantee, it's a guarantee that has a context where there are conditions that are laid out. Just as physical investments can be lost in the stock market, spiritual investments can be lost in the kingdom. And we want to ensure we have this guarantee. We want to ensure that it can be said of us, will by no means lose his reward and uh, take a look at the cautions that are there. For example, verse 39 says that if I'm completely self-absorbed, preoccupied with saving my life and loving my life, I'm going to lose my life and I'm going to lose a lifetime of investments that I have made. But there are other idols that God destroys. He's in the idol-destroying business, but our father and mother and our children can be idols as well. So verse 37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So you can't take these verses out of context. Verses 32 through 33 indicate you can't be ashamed of Jesus. We need to do everything to His glory, in His name, by His grace. Colossians 2.18 says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. So there's a spiritual stock market out there, and there are some unethical uh, guys who are out there trying to cheat you of your dividends, cheat you of your reward. And in Second John, he warns us about these deceivers who cheat us. And in verse 8, he says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now, a lot of Christians just act as if these rewards, they're just automatic. Everybody's just going to get them. You're not going to get them. Just automatically. Paul, John, Jesus say that we need to be careful. Now, one last thing to notice about sharing in the rewards of others we share in their rewards when we have a personal ministry involvement. And I want you to notice the distinction here. Verse 41 says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. Later it says that ministry is done in the name of a righteous man. Verse 42 speaks of ministry given in the name of a disciple. What does it mean, doing something in their name? Uh, there could be other uh, aspects to this that I, I'm not dealing with, but it means at least that we need to be doing it with a personal 
involvement of ministry. This is not one of those Lord bless all of the orphans of the world, amen, type of prayers. Uh, this is a kind of prayer that's got a list of names that you're burdened over and that you're praying over. This is a personal involvement by way of, of giving and visiting and writing on behalf of people. Now, how can we do that when we are so far removed from the persecuted church? That's what puzzles a lot of people. Well, there are a lot of organizations that can help us to do that. Um, Voice of the Martyrs is one that we have subscribed to for quite a long time, and they send you uh, cards and information with names. In fact, sometimes cards you can mail uh, into uh, prison authorities. And when they get, you know, 100,000 cards, and they realize, wow, this person's quite a well-known person. <laughs> and many times this busted people out of jail. Uh, when you're praying for them individually and when you're sending uh, finances, uh, that can be one way of putting a name to the people that you are, are working with. Frontline Fellowship, Voice of the Martyrs is another. Uh, supporting legislation, uh, encouraging people to stay up to date, you know, on in fact, you, you can get names all the time. If you subscribe to emails, uh, through there's all kinds of Christian organizations out there that will inform you on this. Locally, we can give furniture to the Sudanese who have been displaced, teach English, develop friendships. And so there's so many different ways uh, that, we can, uh, that we can do this. Uh, one of the things that people say is, I can't maybe uh, personally know a name, but... If you notice in the sequence here in verse 40, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. And so that, you know, there is a, a connection covenantally. And so I would say by implication, if you support an organization as you have been with Biblical Blueprints and Calcedon and uh, Frontline Fellowship and others like that, when you receive an organization that has a face-to-face -face relationship with these persecuted people, that's another, another way that you can do it. Okay, a fourth motivation in these verses is knowing that every action we make on earth can have an eternal significance. Now, who would have thunk that giving a glass of cold water uh, to somebody uh, is going to have its own eternal reward? Uh, you know, in the scope and flow of history, it doesn't seem like a very significant thing, but Jesus says it really is. It's a very significant thing. And we're not talking about here just about rewards. You know, humans have a desire to be doing something that is of significance. And if you've done something that you really believe counts, many times it feels that's reward enough for me. I don't even need rewards in heaven because I want my life to count. And so a thousand years from now, what in your life is going to last? What in your life is going to have eternal significance? And then evaluate, what in my life is just going to be burned up as hay, wood, and stubble? See, it won't be the fact that you have a nice home uh, that's going to count. What will count is that you've used your home wisely in the raising of your children and in hospitality. It won't be the fact that you have a nice car that uh, you can, you know, drive around and everybody else is admiring. It's the fact that you're using it in the discipleship of your children and in, in hospitality and in service uh, to others. Uh, too often, I think we do not think about what counts for eternal significance until we're dying. And I've seen this so many times. People who are dying have their regrets and they say, you know, a lot of the things I was doing, I, I can see now, 
did not have eternal significance. We've got to start thinking about that uh, right now. Uh, make sure your life is devoted to the things that count. So, use your job as a stewardship trust. Realize God has placed you there sovereignly and He has a purpose for your being there. Try to be God-centered, thinking through what He wants you to do with that job. Change diapers for Christ. Do all with eternity in mind. Next time you pass a plate of food that you've cooked uh, you know, for your kids, you might just think consciously to the Lord, Lord, I know I'm giving this to my children, but I really love you, and I'm doing this for you. I'm giving it for you. If you do that, everything in your life can begin to start taking on an eternal significance. The last motivator in these verses is just implied. And you can see if you think it logically flows from this. I think it logically flows from this. But if we are guaranteed rewards, and if we are guaranteed eternal significance, which I believe we clearly are, that it implies that we are on the winning side, right? It's only a winning general who hands out rewards. The other general gets plundered, right? And so if we're given rewards and if we're having eternal significance, it implies that we're on the winning side. As Paul ends his glorious chapter of victory in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're on the winning side. Amen? Amen. And that's an important motivator. No one has enthusiasm to lay down their lives to make great sacrifices unless they either believe this is a worthwhile cause, even if it loses, or this is going to be winning, or a combination of the both. But when you believe it's a worthwhile cause and we are on the winning side, it gives you great motivation to be involved and to be making sacrifices. And what he says here is we are part of a glorious army and the sacrifices we make um, will be well worthwhile. Now, if you look at your outlines, I've given you three pieces of homework. and uh, I, I'll just quickly go over those. The first one, spend some time today doesn't say today, but that's what I intended there, uh, because this is, after all, the day, uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted. Spend at least a few minutes, either by yourself or with your families, in praying for the persecuted church. See if you can gather a little bit of information off the web or elsewhere and spend some time praying for them. Second piece of homework, strategize at least one specific way that you can be involved in the lives of the persecuted. Now, I'm doing it by... You know, going over to China and India, working with the Dalits there, and there's a number of other ways in which I'm involved. Uh, but there's, there's ways in which you can be specifically involved in ministering to the persecuted. It might be writing a letter uh, of encouragement or, um, you know, giving a gift to an organization that works with uh, the persecuted, something along those lines. But think of one way you can get involved. And then thirdly, make a plan for sharing in someone's ministry here in America by serving them. Could be simply a gift, could be much more complicated. There's all kinds of creative ways that you could do that. And as you do these three things, consciously be doing them as unto Christ. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and the encouragement that it brings. And Father, that You have laid out our lives in such a way that everything, even from the smallest of us, we can lay up great rewards in heaven. I pray that uh, You would help us uh, to be constantly aware of Your presence and power in our lives, to have a constant focus 
uh, upon you. We tend to be so unfocused in our Christian living, and I pray that you would give to us by your Holy Spirit more and more of a focus that would give us this joy of uh, Christian living. Help us to uh, glorify you by enjoying you forever. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.